seems like uh, every week it's been getting harder for me. I sit down, I do the, the routine I usually do when I study for sermons, dig into my study Bibles and my commentaries, I collect all my notes and of all the sources and of things that speak to me and I think I want to implement into the sermon. But then I come up empty. I start writing and nothing sounds right. I don't know if I'm distracted or, or, or busy, but I've been entired. I've been telling friends that I've discovered a new word. It's called sabbaticalitis. If you know anything about seniors in high school who have senioritis, it's kind of like what sabbaticalitis is. <laughs> um, it's this horrible disease. There's no vaccination out for it yet. Um, and uh, it's where a pastor who's anticipating a sabbatical suddenly has writer's block, uh, maybe a little bit of exhaustion and a bit of indifference and impatience. As with many of you, I think 2020 coronavirus and every other big news item coupled with Christie's cancer, it's all just finally uh, getting to me. And I've been... I've discovered that I'm a lazy worrier. <laughs> Sometimes I don't realize what I'm worrying about or what I'm anxious over until other things happen, such as weekly sermon block. Um, and back when cancer was becoming a, a reality, whenever we got the diagnosis and we're going through these things, I was told uh, by someone, you know, you could recycle sermons. <laughs> Half of us probably wouldn't even realize that you were. <laughs> And I, I appreciated that, and I've been half tempted. I have a few sermons that I, you know, I'm personally pretty glad of, but as a pastor, personally, I'm not saying that uh, anybody else who doesn't think this way isn't right, but for me personally, I always felt like I want what the Lord wants to say here and now, and I'm crazy enough to believe that God can speak and does speak from week to week. And if I really take my job seriously up here, I hope I am tuned into what he wants to say week to week. Which makes it all the more frustrating as I sit there with my sermon text picked out, I'm praying and the book work done, but feeling empty. And I began to realize why, as I said, sabbatical litis. <laughs> and uh, October's coming soon. Christy and I are glad for that. And it's thought that this is an extremely busy church, but again, it's just been COVID, cancer, children, all those wonderful C words. And uh, and if any of you are there with me, here's what I decided to do this past week. I decided to confront it head on. I decided that it's one thing to diagnose the problem, but instead of diagnosing the problem and saying, ah, that's why I can't focus. Now I can't focus and I'm... Uh, frustrated for the reason I can't focus, I decided that perhaps the Lord wants to use this personal season in my life to communicate from his word. I wonder if anybody else is burnt out. I wonder if anybody else after 2020 COVID and I don't know, maybe if you feel like the world's falling apart, I wonder if it's taken a toll on anyone else. So I don't know if this is just going to be one sermon and then I'm going back to Acts, or if God has some sermons along my sabbaticalitis uh, feelings uh, until the sabbatical comes. But for this week, I was drawn to this fact 
that if I don't hear God speaking as I try to write my sermons, then I'm going to pray, let me hear what God speaks. And, and I found this passage in Psalm 85, if you want to turn there. And we're going to be focusing on the last half of the psalm. because, And because we're looking at the last half, let, let me bring some context to the first half of Psalm 85. And it's a psalm that really calls for revival and restoration in whole. Uh, the people need revival. The land needs revival in terms of crops. And so the first three verses looks to a time when God did forgive and bless his people. And then in verses 4 through 7, looks toward the fact that the psalmist desires another time of forgiveness, uh, renewal, restoration, in that the psalmist is writing and crying out from a time that needs redeemed, kind of like what we're going through in Habakkuk, for those of you in Dean's Sunday School, and perhaps a time like our time. But now I invite you to stand if you're able to, and let's read the last verses, verses 8 through 13 together in Psalm 85, which says, Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, for any of us, it's it's easy to let life, problems, distractions, worries, anxieties crowd you out. For some reason, you call us to this weird paradox that the busier and more anxious and more stressed and worry we get, the more you want us to get away with you. To know that we can depend on you, to know that you are taking care of all these things and try as we might, we have little to no control. Um, Father, I pray that the words that we hear today would be your words and not mine. That is our prayer. Um, let me hear what the Lord God will speak. So I pray that the word we hear today would be refreshing, would be used by you to glorify you and exalt you and to grow us to be more like Jesus. We ask and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I see in this psalm three movements, and because I went to Bible college, I had to rhyme them. Um, desire, not rhyme them, they have to start with the same letter. Sometimes they can rhyme. Them. Anyways, desire, declaration, destination. The desire of the psalmist, his declaration of God's doing, and, the, and a destination the psalmist wants in the future. But first we have the desire, God and me. That's the desire. If I'm honest, lately my prayers surrounding sermon prep have been short and sweet. Uh, I'm, not a, I'm not pharisaical about my prayers in that I'm sure some Christians, 
feel like that they need to pray a long time to really feel like they've prayed. And I'm more realistic about my prayers these days, uh, that God knows my heart. And just how I don't gauge uh, Christy's love for me by whether she talks to me for five minutes or 25 minutes, I don't think God is going to be impressed by large amounts of talking <laughs> versus however long it might take to say what I want to say and he wants to say to me. But my heart motives, as I examine them, tells me this. I've been really selfish lately. I've been saying, God, speak through me, say what you want, be glorified, and that's about it. It makes them become another item on my schedule of things I do before I start writing my sermon. Okay, I prayed the magical words, I've studied, I've used these books, I got these studied Bibles, I've compiled my notes. If you're going through trials, if you have a sabbaticalitis of your own uh, nature, what are your prayers like? Are you praying, God, give us a better president? Or are you praying, God, make our nation normal again? Or, God, kick that virus in the pants and send it packing. Or, kick that cancer in the face and send it packing. These are all understandable, fine prayers. But when's the last time we prayed, God, what's on your mind? Right? God, what do you have for me today? God, what's your plan and mission in all of this trial? And how do you want me to be on board? Do you hear the difference in that? And in the middle of this psalmist's lament, noting that things are bad, but they've been bad before, and God has a good track record of redeeming grace and restoration the psalmist then says, let me hear what God the Lord will speak. This was my, my heart's cry. And it's three simple acknowledgments in this phrase, if we think about it. We can hear God. We know who God is. And God speaks. First, we can hear God. God spoke the world into existence. He's always been a God of words. God gave us the prophets. And after uh, this time in the Psalms, in the, in the New Covenant, we're told in Jeremiah that I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Oh, no longer each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. See, let alone the times that God showed up in the Old Testament, and it seems like people like Abraham or Moses, Samuel, David, they seem to be hearing God. The New Covenant says we have access to the Holy Spirit who can and does speak to us. I got this asked this the other day by my son Calvin. Questions from kids make you think about your faith. But he asked, if God speaks, why can't I hear him? And so I said, well, does Rocket talk? That's our dog. Calvin said, well, he barks. And then I said, well, if Rocket wags his tail, what does that mean? He's happy. God speaks sometimes in a different way than people do. God speaks primarily through the Bible, or if we do, and then I asked Calvin, or if we do something bad, does God like that? Well, no. 
Calvin says, so you've understood him. You know what God wants. He speaks. We just need to hear. We need to hear. Secondly, the psalmist knows who God is. He just said his name. First, he said God, the Hebrew El, like El Shaddai, which is kind of our general usage of God. We might hear in a school classroom the gods of Hinduism, the God of Islam, that, that generic, generic word for God. But then the psalmist said uh, the Lord, and Lord in small caps in your Bibles, if you didn't know, always means the original word was Yahweh. The psalmist uh, said the Lord. The psalmist said Yahweh. He knows God, and we know God personally. And I'll just speak for myself, but I don't know if that always excites me the way that it should, (laughs) to know God personally. You and I know the God of the universe. What business do we have sulking half the time? What business do we have disparaging half the time? I like what Isaiah says in his memorable 40th chapter. Do you not know? (laughs) Have you not heard? (laughs) We serve a God who knows us personally. And then thirdly, the psalmist makes a proclamation basically to say that God speaks. It's one thing to know that we hear, but it's another thing to believe that God speaks and he speaks into our here and now. Yes, we have the word of God to lead, guide and direct, and the scriptures are sufficient to tell us God's will. But let us never believe that the scriptures replace the fact that God does hear us now and is aware of our here and now and speaks into our here and now. And as the psalmist continues in expressing his desire for God to speak, he assures, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. First, some might get a little bit angry in our day and say, that sounds a bit exclusive, only God's people, only God's saints. And that's just the psalmist's invitation to say, if you ever want to hear God too, then become one of his people, his saints. Everyone's invited. Don't miss this, though. God's word for his people and saints is peace. It's peace. Why am I suffering? Does God hate me? Does he wish to judge us? God's word to his people is peace. When God became flesh and walked the earth, which we'll talk about here in a bit, but he came as the prince of peace. And this peace here in verse 8 is shalom, it's it's health and wholeness. My question, what does God desire to say to me? Peace. That's his desire. But here is a key in verse 8. But let not them turn back to folly. Is your heart in it? In fact, uh, the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, likely the Bible, Jesus and the disciples may have been more familiar with, would say it as the RSV says it. For he will speak to his people, to his saints, to those who turn to him in their hearts. There is lip service who wants God to speak, but also let it be heart service. Are your hearts Truly turn to God. Is my heart truly 
turn to God? Do I truly want what He wants? Comes back to this desire. See, the psalmist, more than desiring God to speak, states that there needs to be a desire for God, period. Many of us desire God for something, but do we just desire Him? Most of us, when we fall in love, we, we end up desiring the person. I just didn't desire the coffee that we got when I started dating Christy. I just didn't desire the food we ate together on dates, nor did I just desire to play cards or watch movies with someone, but I desired, and I still do desire Christy. Do you desire God? Are you turned to Him in your heart, and are you not thinking or turning back to folly? The psalmist continues, Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Uh, A heart that desires God will fear him in the reverential sense. It it means you take him seriously. (laughs) Yes, God loves us, but let us not forget he's God. He is Sovereign, He's supreme. Life and death are in His hands. He's made the universe. So who are you before Him? He's created us for intimacy and communion with Him. So do we obey Him? Do we fear Him? And salvation is this, returning to our original purpose. We hear salvation in terminology so much, saved from our sins, saved from ourselves. Rightly so, the Bible uses that terminology, but but the Bible also showed us what life before sin was, and it was contentment, thriving, and living in our purpose, communion with God. God's voice is peace and salvation to those who truly fear Him. That is desire, God and me, a personal desire for Him. He will speak and He speaks peace and salvation to those who fear Him. Next, the psalmist moves to declaration. What God says to me or says to us. Declaration, verse 10 and 11 says, Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Steadfast love or hesed, the, the well-known Hebrew word. It's, I'm going through Ruth and it's all over Ruth. Steadfast love, covenantial love, hesed. Some translations use loving kindness for this word. Some translations use mercy uh, right here in this verse. And then for the faithfulness part, the word truth is also used. So mercy and truth. But the truth is more to that idea of being faithful. Now, I'm a, this might shock you, but I'm one of those weird, the Bible is about Jesus people. And this is what is described, I believe, in this verse, Jesus. Jesus is mercy and truth, righteousness and peace met together. Jesus brings me mercy, and God can still be faithful and true. Over in Romans 3, let me explain this to you. Paul would say that God's grace is a gift through the redemption. Now remember, that's what the psalmist desires, is redemption for his people and his land. God, uh, grace is a gift through the redemption, that which is in Christ Jesus, 
whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Translators are all over the place with this word propitiation. Um, Some put expiation, some put atoning sacrifice, some put mercy seat. But it's the idea that God is in my place, substitution. And then atonement. God is paying the price for my sins, and he does this by his, Jesus' blood. And we receive the benefits of this by faith, says Paul. Again, back over in Psalm, that's the being part of God's people. That's being a saint of God. But this is where steadfast love meets truth or faithfulness. This is where righteousness kisses peace. This, says Paul, namely this being Jesus put forward for our sins, was to show God's righteousness. That's the word that the psalmist used. Because in his, God's divine forbearance, he passed over former sins It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let me say it this way. We we all agree on a few things in the world, especially right now. People are sinful, evil, corrupt. We we look uh, at the news and say to half of the evil people we see or we at least think this, where's the justice? (laughs) Those sinners need to be brought to justice. And what Paul says is that God is entirely good. He's a great judge. He's the perfect judge. He hates sin. He will have justice. But for a perfect God to have perfect justice, it means all injustice. And all guilty sinners need to be brought to justice, right? And what does God's word say? I'm sure all of you are good, dandy, and fine, but I look in it and I'm toast. By God's standards, I've sinned. I sin. I'm part of the people that needs to be brought to justice. This, what we just read here, fixes that problem. I wonder if you hear the problem, the dilemma. The problem is that God is entirely good. And he wants perfect justice, but he also wants us. He wants us. He wants the sin to be dealt with, but the last time I checked, it's people who sin. (laughs) That's their problem. It's not an abstract concept outside of our doing. It's not a virus we inherit. It's one we perpetuate. And so how to handle the sin and spare the sinners? How to remain a righteous judge but show mercy? God justifies us. He makes us right. He makes the verdict. He renders the verdict not guilty by becoming sin for us in the person and work of Jesus. The psalmist would say here back in verse 11 of Psalm 85, faithfulness springs up from the ground. Jesus came to our ground. He came to earth. He is God and he walked our land, but he walked it perfectly. He breathed the air we breathe and he walked the dirt we walk on. Meanwhile, God remains a righteous judge. The psalmist says, and righteousness looks down from the sky. God remains a righteous judge, still demanding the consequences of sin, and the verdict is dealt with by sending his son Jesus in our stead, in our place, substituting him for us, and we believe in this by faith in Christ Jesus. We believe that I deserve 
wrath, hell, damnation, judgment. But God pays the price for me, and so I follow Jesus. And that is where mercy or steadfast love meets faithfulness. That's where righteousness kisses peace. We can have God's faithfulness to us, and we can be faithful to God. We can have peace in the person, work, power, sacrifice, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is his word of peace to us. That's his declaration. So we desire God. Let me hear what God speaks. In trials and problems, I need to hear from God. We receive a declaration from God. Peace in the person and work of Jesus. God's word to us is steadfast love and faithfulness. It's righteousness and peace. And in our world where it seems so much justice needs to take place, it will take place. Save the ones who rely upon God. So, we've had our desire and we've heard the declaration, but that leaves us here and now and how do we operate? How do we go forward? Because if the desire was to have God restore us, and if the answer is, let's just be honest, the same answer we always get, because it's a good answer, that answer being Jesus, <laughs> we practical people like to say, but what does that mean for me here and now? What's our destination? And our destination is this. It's knowing that God goes before me. We like destinations being locations. But God says, no, all you need to know about the destination you're headed is that I go before you. The psalmist in the same breaths where he looks around desiring a restoration and a redemption reveal from God and he says with faith, yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. This is a proclamation from faith and trust. But it's also a challenge because the challenge is not this. Will I pray hard enough to get my answers? The challenge is, will I trust God that he desires to be good to me? Some of us going through trials, here's the truth. God is good and he desires to do good to us. Do we believe that? Well, no, because if he's all-powerful, why am I still, in, still dealing with trust him? <laughs> he desires to be good to us. And if we're not experiencing goodness, it's not that God has lost his power. And if God has not lost his power and we're still facing trials, it's not that God has lost his goodness. Then what, we might ask, what is the answer? Jesus could have asked that, you think? Uh, in fact, I believe the psalmist returns our gaze to Jesus to give us that answer, that answer to if God does desire good to me, even when it's bad, what are his reasons? The psalmist says righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. The New King James said, and shall make his footsteps our pathway. As I said, Jesus again, Jesus again. How many of us in the middle of our deserts, our wilderness experiences, our sufferings, our trials, our sabbaticalitis, have the audacity to look at Jesus bruised, 
beaten, broken, bloody body. Are you good to me? (laughs) Do you know what it feels like to go through my trials? We ask to a crucified Jesus. This is what makes Christianity and what makes Christ most real is that we have a high priest who sympathizes. Whenever we desire for God to speak and we hear declarations of God's goodness and mercy towards us and we know our destination for us is to find our answers always in none other than the pathway of Jesus. He goes before us. You know, I know this. Jesus had sabbaticalitis. If Jesus can fall asleep in a boat on a stormy sea, I have to know he had seasons of exhaustion. And if he gets awakened by scared disciples, and his reaction is to rebuke those said disciples in the middle of a stormy, choppy sea, fearing for their lives, I wonder if Jesus was a little burnout. Jesus, I know, experienced physical harm. He feared so much for his life in the garden. It may have not been a cancer growing in his body, but he expected suffering outside his body and he received it and it killed him. Jesus saw the devastation of disease and how it divided people, leper colonies, people who were outcasts and outsiders, told to stay away and told to announce their disease to the people around them. Jesus saw and lived under a tyrannical government and was in fact executed by the said government. Friends, Jesus has gone before us. Our destination is to follow him and mimic him in his wake. So, when I say to him, Lord, let me hear you speak. He has spoken so loud and so aptly into our time and space in the person and work of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, some of us, we know and trust you speak into our here and now. And sometimes I think that drives us a little bit off the course and saying, well, I need to hear a new revelation. Give me some new Bible pages. Whenever sometimes it seems you point us and say, Jesus is the word you need to hear. Father, how many of us read through the Bible perhaps every year, or we read through the same passages, but we hear your voice speaking so well into our situations and conditions that we find ourselves in whenever we've read that a thousand times and never picked it up before. Father, for those of us experiencing the weight of these last few years, help us to know and truly believe that whenever your word tells us that you are a high priest who sympathizes, you truly do sympathize. You have truly been where we are. You have truly experienced as a human being the things that we face. You have felt the fear. You have felt the exhaustion. You have felt whatever we're feeling. And you died for our sins. And you rose again. And you are supreme. You will bring final justice where it is needed. And you've given us a way out of the final justice that we deserve. And you say to us, follow me. So help us to follow you. Help us to trust that you do desire to do good to us because that is your desire. Father, we love you and we thank you and we ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.